So, let me begin by saying welcome. Um, it's a joy, always a joy, um, for me to stand here and look at all of your beautiful faces um, and rejoice in God's grace in building His church here in this city. Um, and so we are incredibly thankful um, and joyous, and it's a joy for me um, and Dan um, to serve you guys as your pastors. And so um, I'm Obed, I'm one of the leaders here, um, and as a church, we are just passionate about being a church family on mission with Jesus. Um, and so welcome, if you're new. Um, also, I've got one quick and important announcement before we get into our study this morning, and that is, if you can, do us a favor, okay? It's a favor from us, asking you a favor. If you could refrain from using the restroom, um, if you can, um, please do. We're having some plumbing issues um, that started last night. Um, we had some plumbers come in. And they put that thing down there. What is it? The snake. It was like a machine and it just kept going and it has gone deep back up, pulled it out and said, there's a root that has gone deep and tough and it's kind of blocking everything. And so if you look, look, we're not saying you have to, it's a requirement. Um, we recommend that you do <laughs> um, in order to prevent more damage from being happening. And so please, if you could do that, absolutely. But if you need to go, it's totally fine. Go do your thing, flush it, we'll deal with it. Um, we'll deal with it, um, yeah? Okay, brilliant. Grab your Bibles <laughs> and turn to the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, commonly known as Philippians. And so turn to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. As a church, we've been um, studying um, a series based on this book, and it's been awesome, man. Like Philippians is supposed to be like the the you know the letter of joy. You know, like oh, it's so joyous, but there's more to it than that. Um, there's definitely more to it than that, and we've been benefit from um, as a church. My brother, for so um, for so many years, no, for a while now, um, as a church, my brain went weird there. All right, um, Philippians chapter two, and we're going to be reading from verses twelve to eighteen. Verses twelve to eighteen. And as always, would you please stand? For the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18 reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in the sky as you hold firm. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and, and word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Wow, so much in there. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would illuminate the truths that are stored up in this section of Philippians um, so that we may experience a change in how we view you and how you relate to us and so that our lives may be changed as we come to you this morning. Um, Our week, God, we are looking to you this morning. We really are. We are depending on you and looking to you to work and do what only you can do. We have expectations that you would do more than we can ask or imagine. And we cannot wait to experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just read to you of literature, of the most extraordinary pieces of literature ever written. It is commonly known as the Christ Hymn. The Christ hymn um, has to be one of, and I think the highlight of the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. This letter was written during the reign of Emperor Nero, who elevated himself to the stature of God, and therefore what he demanded was worship as a god. This, of course, placed Roman imperial ideology in direct conflict to the Christian teaching of Christ as king and his reign on earth. And because of this, uh, the Jesus community in Philippi encountered external opposition as well as internal conflict. This was one of the inspirations for the letter in this hymn. The hymn essentially does this. It's a condensed version of the life of Jesus, his incarnation, um, his suffering, and his, in, um, his crucifixion. And in doing so, um, what this hymn does, it presents Christ in stark contrast to Emperor Nero without directly naming him. Jesus' selfless humility led to his exaltation by Emperor Nero's self-exaltation eventually how Emperor Nero, in end of life. And if you know your history, you know 
how Emperor Nero um, ended his life. And by way of application, this is what's happening. Paul challenges, Paul's the author of Philippians, he challenges the members of the church in Philippi to imitate Christ, not only in action, but in thought. In this part of the letter, what Paul does is he talks about how they're to respond to the extraordinary selfless um, humility of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he reminds us of this. He reminds us that our obedience is the right response to Jesus' obedience unto death. And so this morning, as we study what Paul had to say about the Christ hymn and his response to it, and this is my hope. This is my hope that we would discover three truths, okay? That first truth is uh, our work is God's work. Our unity is a light in a dark world. And number three, there is joy in our sacrificial service. Joy in our sacrificial service. And so if you're making notes, first, um, our work is God's work. Our work is God's work. Look at, verse 20, look at verse 12 again. It says, therefore, my dear friends, and it's interesting that he refers to them as dear friends. In the past, um, in this letter, he's always referred to them as brothers and sisters. Um, and now he kind of transitions that. And he says, therefore, my dear friends, this is a uh, this is a term, of in, um, um, a term of endearment, all right? And he goes on to say, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So this is what's happening. Because of Jesus' extraordinary act of selfless humility, Paul here implores his friends, his beloved friends, um, that is the Christians in Philippi, to continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. The book of Philippians has in it so many well-known sayings, and I would say this is one of them, all right? Who's familiar with this saying, right, this, this verse? All of you, most of you, okay, great. This verse is not only well-known, but believe it or not, this is one of those verses that can easily be misunderstood, and misinterpreted. On the surface, this, this verse can be kind of confusing, especially for Christians. And this is because one of the most beloved truths about our Christian faith is the gospel. It's the gospel. And if you're a Christian, I know for sure that you believe that the gospel is the good news, okay, that Jesus paid for all of your sins. And because of this, you are not required to do any good works to earn your salvation. This is a fundamental belief um, among all Christians, yeah? And so, when we come across passages like this that seem to insinuate that some kind of work is involved with salvation, what happens is we get all confused, all right? We get confused, we scratch our heads, and we begin to feel uneasy, and so let's do this. Let's briefly study this verse so we can clear up any misconceptions right, surrounding this verse. And so let's start with this first. The Greek verb rendered work out, okay, it's not what you mean, something to completion, or find that later, means to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. Therefore, to work something out is to prove it to be true. 
Okay, an example of this is by Stephen Altrog, who's a blogger. He gives this fantastic example. He says, when we work out a math problem, we aren't fundamentally changing the answer. Two plus two always equals four. When we do the equation, we are simply proving that two plus two equals four. And so in this context, this is what's happening. Paul is calling the Christians in Philippi to work out the math of their salvation. They already have salvation, okay? They just have to put in effort to display the salvation they already have. Again, let me stress that Paul is not calling the Christians in Philippi to work for their salvation proof of what God calling them to is good works that are simply proof of what God has already done in them. I do weddings as a pastor. I recently did a wedding. <laughs> and um, every time we get to the exchange of rings, um, I say something to the effect of, um, I say something like this, you know, these rings are a visible representation of the commitment you've made, right? And so the reason I say that is as the couple um, wears their ring around throughout their day and they see that ring, that ring is a sign. It's a visible representation of the commitment they've made. I got to tell you, the last wedding I did, I made an error, a so funny mistake. Um, so I, I, you know, I normally say, um, you know, so-and-so groom, um, say this after me as you put, you know, the ring on the bride's finger, okay? So what I ended up saying was, of the bride, after me, as you put the finger on the ring of the bride, it happened, but the good thing is I caught myself, right? So rings are a visible representation of what um, the commitment is. And so in the same way, what happens is that good works, our good works, yeah, as Christians are visible representations of the salvation Christians everywhere in every generation possess. And so if you're a Christian... The truest thing about you right now is that God has already done the staggering work of salvation in you. He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has rescued you. He's put his spirit in you, and he's united, with you, in, um, with, he's united you to Jesus. And that glorious work has already been done. And so the purpose of your good work is just evidence of the salvation you possess. You're not only called to life under the influences done, but you're also called to live a life under the influence of what Jesus has done. And that's what this verse is all about. And so Paul is imploring, right, um, us to work out our salvation. Um, he wants us to work out what God has already worked in us. And the thing is, um, check this, he wants us to do this with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. And so what does this mean? What does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? One author um, says that it has to do with living in humility before God and in submission to his will. 
Another author explains that it means to work hard to show the results of our salvation with an attitude of deep reverence and fear for God. With an attitude of deep reverence and fear for God. What this means is that as you work to obey God, as you work to exhibit and display the salvation you have to the people around you and to the watching world, you're supposed to do so um, with an attitude of deep reverence for God. And so what that means is that your Christian life is not supposed to be lived casually. Like, whenever, whatever, however, whatever. But it's to be seriously considered. Yes, God is our Father. He absolutely is our Father, yeah? And we're His children, and we're supposed to relate to Him, um, um, you know, in like Father-like, in that kind of relationship. But man, guess what? God is sitting on the throne. He's the creator of the universe, and He is holy. And so we better, when we relate to Him, and when we live out our Christianity in relation to Him and to others, we've got to do so with deep reverence and fear of Him. A few years ago, my son Jesse brought home a sunflower plant from school. It had just sprouted, so green as thumb. Little pot. In my family, I'm the one with the greenest thumb. And so what they did was they handed it to me and said, Dad, do your magic. Make it grow said, yes, I would love to. And so what did I do? I planted it in a new pot. I got some high-quality soil um, in there. Um, I made sure it was situated um, in a place where it would get a lot of good sun. I watered it often. And when it grew in length and flowers began to appear, we were all just mesmerized by how beautiful and stunning this sunflower was. And what I did was I just enjoyed seeing it grow and bloom. And I also enjoyed my family enjoy this incredible plant. But what began to happen is that these joyous feelings I had were soon overshadowed by feelings of disappointment. And the reason I speak about this, and ever members of my family began to speak about the sunflower and how beautiful it was, they would give credit to my son, Jesse. <laughs> they would say, Jesse, oh, look what Jesse brought from school. Oh, and this is Jesse's sunflower. And this is what Jesse did. And I'm listening, thinking, Jesse didn't do nothing. <laughs> I did all the work. Jesse got all the praise when I did all the work. I replanted it. Okay? I picked off caterpillars. I did all of that. My nails got dirty because of it. I did all the work, but Jesse got all the credit. In the same way, God is the one at work in our lives. Okay? but we sometimes don't give him the credit he deserves. 
as we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we'll always struggle with the temptation not to give God the credit he deserves. We'll often give in to the temptation to make it all about us. And so, this is fantastic. To help us avoid such a pitfall, Paul does this. He follows the command to work out our salvation with fear and trembling with the who works in you. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Because of what Jesus has done, we are to strive and make every effort to show the results of our salvation with an attitude of deep reverence and fear for God. And as we do that, we must remember that it is God who works in us to will and to act in order um, to fulfill his good purpose. This verse right here doesn't only exist to help us avoid taking the credit God deserves, but I believe it also provides encouragement for Christians, reminding us that the obedience to God's way do not come from our own power. God hasn't left us to our own devices God saves us, inspires us to live the way he's called us to live, and guess what? Doesn't just leave us, he powers and he continues to empower us in order to obey his will. Oh, he is a good God. He really is. So our good God, our great God is the one who is actually working in us. He's the one who gives us the designer power to do what pleases him. Put simply, God not only conceives and births, our salvation. He's also the one who inspires and powers our obedience. Our good works are all God's work. Blaise Pascal, who has the coolest name ever, by the way, that name, man, Blaise Pascal, says this, um, our deeds are our own because of the free will producing them, and they are also God's because of his grace causing our free will to produce them. And so remember that time when you were able to extend forgiveness to the person who had severely hurt you. Remember the faithfulness you've shown when it comes to involvement in the local church. Remember the time you resisted the overwhelming desire to um, watch another pornographic video. Remember um, the supernatural strength you had in that moment to not give in to temptation. Remember the humility you displayed when you admitted you were wrong and asked your spouse for forgiveness. Remember how generous you've been in recent times with your time and your resources, your finances. Remember the strong desire you've had to read and study God's word and be with God's people. Um, Remember the faithfulness you've shown in opening up your home and being hospitable. The boldness you've had in sharing the gospel with others. All of these good works, all of these good and godly works, and many others you've seen and done in your life have all been the work of God. It has been God who has and continues to work in you 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And this reminder should remind you of God's faithfulness to you. It really should. Do you know why? I know for sure, if you're like me, I know there's some people in here that will doubt, that are doubting God's commitment and faithfulness to you. You're asking, am I ever going to be obedient to God? Am I ever going to be able to fill in the blank? And may this remind you that God doesn't save you and leave you but he saves you and continues to empower you to live a life of obedience to him. And so we've seen that our work is God's work. We've seen that our unity, unity, sorry, is light world. Um, um, sorry, next we're going to see that our unity, sorry, is light in a dark world. And so what's happening is that after exhorting the Christians in Philippi to live in a way that reflects their salvation, um, Paul gets really specific here. He, he begins to show um, them exactly how they're to work out the salvation they have, right? And so look at verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And so what he's saying is, this is how for you, Philippians, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is how you do it. Specifically, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Um, in the Greek, the word for grumbling sounds like a person mumbling complaints under their breath. The Greek word is gogosimus. Gogosimus. Okay? I butchered that, but it's fine. You get the point. Um, and so that's the Greek word. To argue in this verse means to complain and argue with others in a way that stirs up dissension and causes strife. Do you get that? To argue means to complain and argue with us in a way that causes dissension and strife. Put together, grumbling and arguing reflect the bad of discontentment and discord, which all causes division. And this all makes sense in the context of where we're at. Remember that, you know, Paul has been emphasizing the need for unity. And he doesn't want to let go of this. He continues um, to help them know how they can be more united. Last time, he said selfish ambition and vain conceit were the vices that would bring disunity. This time, he's saying grumbling and arguing, which, um, which are the bad attitudes of discontentment and discord, is what will erode the unity they have in Christ. And again, this applies to us as a church right here in 2020 San Diego. We, King's Cross, we must do everything without grumbling and arguing. 
That everything there, do you know what that means in Greek? Everything. <laughs> it's not, um, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's everything. We as a church must strive to make every effort to keep grumbling and disputing and complaining and arguing out of our church community. Because the sins of grumbling, complaining, disputing, and arguing will do this. It will erode the unity we have in Christ. And so how are you doing with that? I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I'm not going to ask, her, oh, are you complaining and are you grumbling? I'm not going to ask that. It's not an if, it's a when. Because we all do it, but I think the most important thing is how we respond to it and how we view it. Last year, the men in our church went through a book called Respectable Sins. And that book was all about the sins we like to tolerate as Christians, like gossip and pride and anger. They're just certain sins that we like to tolerate and we like to respect and say, you know what, it's fine. And I think grumbling is one of them of all the time. And so what's your perspective of all the times you grumble? about people, about the church, and complain? What's your perspective? Are you like, oh, it's totally fine. It's only a bit of complaining. The reason why Paul keeps bringing up these, um, these commands is that these are the roots of division in the church. And so, man, I urge and I plead with you on behalf of the pastors here, recognize that, that complaining and disputing and all of those things are sins and, also, and, and, and just cry out to God that he would help you. It would be a sad, sad reality for King's Cross to erode and become disjointed and disunified. And we would trace it back to what? Just, just, we were just complainers. Complaining about the world, complaining about everything, about gas prices, about all of these things. And then we complain about the church. What we would like to see because of what we don't see. So how are you doing with that? May you recognize the, 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 the seriousness of grumbling and complaining. And may God help you repent. Not only is, are we to resist the temptation of grumbling um, for the purpose of unity, but it goes on to say that 
uh, if we do not complain and argue and all of those things, we will be more effective and pure children of God without fault. Look at verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. We talk a lot about us being a salt and light. Okay, us being light and being visibly the church on the hill or the light on the hill. We talk a lot about that, but one of the ways we can be that is if we work to remove the sins of grumbling and disputing and complaining from our midst. Paul talks about, you know, a warped and crooked generation. And nothing's changed since then. Like, we live in a crooked and twisted um, generation still. We really do. And how we can be effective, how we can remain blameless and children of God and shine like stars in the skies for us to pursue unity and for us to um, attain unity, we must do all we can to not allow the subtle sins of grumbling and disputing to remain in our church. May God help us. And so we've seen that our work is God's work. Our unity is a light in a dark world. Lastly, we will see that there is joy in our sacrificial service. There is joy in our sacrificial service. Look at verse 17 and 18. Paul goes on to say, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service um, coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So there's a lot going on here that's hard to understand at a glance. A lot of themes and languages, and some of you are like, what is going on? You know, being poured out as a drink offering, what is all of that? Um, when Paul says being poured out like a drink offering, the imagery he uses here refers to the practice of the pouring of a drink offering that was common in the Old Testament. So what would happen in the Old Testament? They would have an offering, okay? Offering an altar, and they'll burn an animal as an offering of something, okay? And then right at the end of the offering, they would get some wine, and they would pour it on the offering, right, as kind of like a libation um, for, the, um, for the offering itself and for the sacrifice. And so um, what's happening here is that Paul is saying that even if his life was being poured out like a drink offering, he would rejoice because he would view it as a sacrifice and service for the Philippians, even if his life is the finishing touches on the sacrifice and service they've made because of their faith, he will be glad and rejoice. And he goes on to invite the Philippians to rejoice with him. William Barclay says this. He says, Paul was perfectly willing to make his life a sacrifice to God. And if that happened, to him it would be all joy 
and he calls on the Philippians not to mourn at the prospect, but rather to rejoice. To him, every call to sacrifice and to toil was a call to his love for Christ, and therefore he met it not with regret and complaint, but with joy. Just as Christ emptied himself, Jesus was God. It blows me away every time I stop and think about it. 2,000 years, there is evidence and clear history that Jesus Christ of Nazareth actually walked on the face of this earth. It's not a fantasy. It's not made up. It's true. It's history. And Jesus comes and says, I am God. I am the one who created you and everything you see and sustains everything in this world. I am God in human flesh. He walked the face of the earth. He performed miracles in order to prove his deity. He served with compassion those who were needy. He taught people, um, eventually us, about the kingdom and what it means to live and follow him. He was accused of blasphemy. And then he was eventually crucified on a Roman cross. God came and died so that we may have life. I want you to do something this week. I want you to pray that the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that reality would stagger you, would move you intellectually and emotionally. We are a church that is passionate about Jesus Christ. And any given Sunday, we come and we observe who Jesus is. And that is awesome and everything. But what could happen is that we just can get used to it. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, he lived and he died. But King's Cross, may we pray and ask that these truths would move us intellectually and emotionally. And as we do, it would lead us to action. We would be able to say, Jesus, whatever I've done for you and whatever you call me to, I'm willing to do it. I am willing to sacrifice my life for your purposes and your people and the spread of your gospel in this world. I am willing to do whatever it takes to be radical for you. I am willing to do whatever it takes so that your name may become famous 
in this world. I am doing everything. I want to do everything it takes so that everyone everywhere may know and surrender their lives to you. And so if you are here this morning and you're like, man, these people are passionate about Jesus, singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. The reason why we make it all about Jesus is that Jesus is the hope for humanity. That means he's the hope for you. And in Jesus Christ, if you recognize Jesus for who he is and you surrender your life to him, your life will be changed. But most importantly, his life will be lived through your life and you'll be able to experience joy, true joy, And so this morning, we answered the question, how do we live in light of the truths of the Christ hymn? Um, We found out that our work is God's work, our unity is a light in a dark world, and there is joy in our sacrificial service. Selfless humility is a challenge to obey, but the promise is it will fill us with joy in the end. There are times when true joy is only attained when in obedience we lay down our lives for others. And that's what Paul did, and that's why he said, you know what? My life is a sacrifice, and because of that, I rejoice. Because Jesus sacrificed his life for me. He inspires me and enables me to live and sacrifice my life for others. And so what about you? What is God calling you to? How is he calling you to practically live out this selfless humility that originates from Jesus and that was imitated by Paul? And I know for sure that in a lot of you, there's a desire for this. And know that God has planted that desire. Know that he will give you opportunities to fulfill that desire of selfless humility. And when he does, he'll empower you to do so. And when he does, may you give him credit. And may you give him praise for that. Let's pray. God, thank you for these reminders. We are encouraged and comforted by you this morning. And we've also been challenged. But even as we've been challenged, we have found encouragement. Because you have reminded us that you have been with us and you'll be with us from now on until the day of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.